Welcome to the Tej Talks podcast. Forget the property celebrities. We speak to relatable people with fascinating journeys, just like you. Hosted by Tej Singh, we bring you new stories, life-changing deals, and expert advice every week. So hello everyone and welcome to another Tej Talks podcast and for those of you who are watching me on video, welcome to another video on my YouTube channel. If you're not subscribed or following me on YouTube, it's Tej Talks Property, I believe, and you should find me. So I'm going to talk to you today about why I am so boring. Uh, people ask me, Tej, why do you buy buy to lets? They're so vanilla, they're so basic. You know, you love interior design. How much can you really do with like buy to lets and flips? Um, but also I want to talk through the BRR, which is the buy, refurbish, refinance model. So I... I'm going to start with the, you know, why I buy buy to lets and why I'm boring. And then at the end, I'm going to finish off with what BRR is. So those of you who are already doing it, you know, listen to the first part if you like. But if you've done BRRs and you know what they are, then feel free to tune off. Um, this is aimed at people who are beginning uh, in their journey a little bit more. So buy to lets. So, you know, when I say buy to lets, I mean, look, most sort of things that most houses that you let out are buy to let technically but i mean family homes two three four beds let out to a family to a couple to whatever on an ast in a short short hold tenancy with one you know sort of unit in in the house who own you know who live in the whole house with the garden everything so different to a hmo which is of course you know a room a room by room basis um, and a house that's let out room by room where you rent out just that room and maybe a, a bathroom where you share the bathroom. Now, for me, buy to lets are, you know what? There's a lot of legislation that can come in and the government are doing everything they can to show how much they dislike landlords and tax us, even though we're, we're actually changing the housing market more than the government ever have. Uh, anyways, so HMOs, uh, you know, rent to rent as all these things can face a lot of legislation especially hmos you know with this like council tax banding that's coming in per room that potentially could spread across the uk like a plague um buy to lets and you know like single lets are unlikely to to have this same sort of legislation because they are just family homes you know there's not you know the person inside there pays the bills and pays the council tax anyway so for me that's one small aspect of why i buy buy to lets but it's part of a bigger thing which is risk i want my portfolio to be as passive as possible now we all know if you're listening to this that property is not you know well it's not always super super passive there's always something to do but of course you know with my two buy to lets am i working nine to five on them no like actually oh kind of felt a bit like I felt a bit proud for a second because I'm not. I'm doing a call um, and every month the rent is coming in. You know, fingers crossed, shall cut long, may it continue. Um, For me, I want it to be as passive and de-risked as possible. And what that for me means is having to be a bit vanilla and not in my interior design, but in in the strategy I employ. So by buying lots of, because you need lots of buy-to-lets, I'll tell you why in a second, it de-risks me um, it allows me to have more ASTs with a hu- you know, in a HMO, you got however many, you know, contracts, but the humans are all touching each other. And when humans are involved with each other, steal the milk, steal the cheese, you know, problems, right? Um, and also great things can happen as well, but, but problems, right? For a lease, that's how you may see it as a landlord. 
But with these bytelets, I've got separate families and separate houses spread over X many ASTs and X many locations. So my risk, in my opinion, is is lower. It's spread out over X many properties. I also have different mortgages on different properties, different locations, different values. Again, my risk is kind of spread a little bit. I haven't got all my fingers in one pie. You know, if one house goes, um, you know, void or vacant for a little bit of time, yes, I may not make money from it, same as a HMO, um, but filling a family home in areas that most of us probably invest, you know, we all know it's pretty straightforward. They're in constant demand. Um, so for me, it's about, yeah, firstly, de-risking, being as boring as I can and being as, like I said, passive because you've got a family in there. They're generally responsible for most things. The roof falls off, the boiler, yeah, fine. There's a few bits and bobs, but that's a phone call, you know, to a handyman or if, if it's, you know, under a lettings agent, then they can deal with it and then you pay the bill. So, you know, really... There's just sort of less, in my opinion, that can go wrong and will go wrong. Um, and it's a little bit more passive. I think HMOs can be passive. Don't get me wrong. A lot of you listening are going to have HMOs and probably say, Tej, we never, we never do anything. But there's plenty of people who say, fucking hell, HMOs, mate, pain in the ass. And I think there's a lot of people who actually, you know, manage HMOs or their own or they have HMOs. But maybe they don't realize how much management goes into it because it's, it's natural. Like they're just... They're just running their business and running their business is part of managing that HMO. So when you ask them, they're not hiding it. They just, it's just such a natural part. You know, I'll forget so many things about my daily sort of what I do because it's so natural to me. So, you know, there, there are differences in the management. So buy to let each one, generally speaking, you know, if you're doing your sums, you're doing your research, will probably get you about 250 to 350 a month profit with a lettings agent if i stop using a lettings agent on mine which i'm actually doing two without it'll probably net about 300 310 quid a month so not huge money you know not big compared to a hmo or a big development but you know how many of those you need to quit your job how many of those you need to have financial security you know if i look at how many bytelets i have which is one two three four five six seven eight eighth one illegals once all eight are up and running, which is happening very shortly, uh, once they're generating money, if that's 250 each, you know, what you got to think is like, okay, that's 250 each. Now I'm about to do my maths for those on the video. That's 250 times eight, which is 2000 pounds. Now, if, if they were not a month and if they were not self-managed, I mean, so if they were self-managed, looking at about 300 a month, that's 2,400. That's the, almost the UK average salary or higher. But you're not working for this, really, because you do the refurb correctly in the first place and it would it shouldn't need much maintenance or physical management of the property. And that's taken me less than six months and I've used very little of my own money and it's pretty much been investors' money, like some of you who are watching who invested and who are going to invest. So what can I do in the next six or, or eight to 10 or 12 months? Like, buy to let's, yes, they're slower, Yes, they bring in a small amount per unit, but if you can grow quickly and you can do it efficiently and properly like a business, then actually they can still bring good money. Now, however, a HMO person is going to say two grand a month. That's two HMOs for me. And that's fine. And as tempting as they are, unfortunately, where I invest, it's very difficult to do HMO successfully there. There are a few areas where it could work. But I'm at this stage where because the growth is so quick, 
I haven't got time to wait for HMO to be ready or the refurb or anything like that. So, and also the, the huge outlay of, not a huge outlay, but bigger outlay of cash. So I will do a HMO or two in the future because of the benefits to come with it. But generally speaking, my portfolio is going to be quite a few buy-to-lets and then blocks of flats because that's literally a buy-to-let on steroids. It's a HMO, but the humans aren't in contact, you know, and there's freeholds, leaseholds, interesting things you can do with that, right? Um, and also it means one building with like five kitchens. So I get to design five kitchens, which I'm more than happy about. So, you know, for me, buy-to-lets provide that de-risked, as passive as, you know, you'd hope for, um, kind of return and yeah they may take longer they may give you a little bit of cash flow each but when you do it in abundance if you listen to adam lawrence who's been on the podcast who at the time had 160 properties i think he has a lot more now times that by 250 and you've got a you know you've got a pretty nice number and if you keep buying lots of buy to lets and if you want to you could set up a lettings agency to then manage your own and be tax efficient and actually then if you want just set up like a lettings agency to help others as well so there's lots that can come from buy to lets right and also i do like the simplicity of them you know the you know you haven't got as much legislation as rules as other things they're a lot quicker if i had to do development it would take eight to 18 months to see profit and you know more money more problems biggie said it right you do bigger things there's more risk there's more challenges there's more stress but yeah the reward is way bigger but it all depends on what what you want from property and for me you know, yes, I could wait. Let's say I, I, I built a new build, right? And it, I, I don't know, let's say it net like 60K profit and it took a year. There's a lot of risks, a lot of challenges with that building from the ground, right? Um, and actually sometimes it's actually, well, caveat that, sometimes it's better because you're not dealing with old mortar walls. You're not dealing with old historic movement. You're kind of doing it afresh. But in those 12 months or so to make that 60 grand, I could have done, I don't know, <clears throat> four flips and made 60 grand with maybe less risk um and it you know there could have been done a lot quicker than that and maybe even easier to find funding in terms of like from private investors because of the risk profile of it so you know people say oh Tej, are you going to progress into land and all stuff yeah i'll, I'll definitely do a new build because like why not I'd, I'd want to design something from scratch that's the, <laughs> that's why i want to do it to design stuff um and I will do HMOs and blocks of flat, but for me, buy-to-lets are simple. You know, one could even say they're elegant, you know, and they're as passive as I think an asset class you can have in property. So that's why I'm boring. That's why I do buy two lets or single lets, as I guess I should technically call them. Now, what is BRR? So it is buy refurbish refinance so you buy a house in order for this to work it well look it generally speaking has to be below market value but if you're buying somewhere like london you know there may be potential to buy at market value build an extension build a dormer and then actually shoot up the end value maybe but just for argument's sake let's just say you're buying below market value and i'll go through some figures with you actually on, on one of my real deals on this but, you, but buy below market value um, you then refurbish it to bring it back up to market value or even to push value slightly. You then refinance it. Now, the reason we say refinance is because you've already got it on finance, whether that's your own cash, an investor cash or a bridge. Um, and the purpose of refinancing it is because now you've increased the market value. You want to then pull some of your money back out, potentially leave some in or leave none in and then go again. 
the traditional way is buy a house, 25% deposit or whatever, leave it in, do a refurb, leave that in and make money because it still makes more than the bank. Ain't nothing wrong with that. Depends on your strategy. But I think a lot of us want to pull money back out to then keep going. And it's like the holy grail, right? It's what property courses talk about. It's what people talk about. So let's give you, let me talk to the logistics. So when you're buying the house, some courses will just say, yeah, 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 buy the house. Sorry? You need to buy it ideally with a bridge or with cash. You can buy it with a mortgage. However, a mortgage is a 25, 35 year product. If you're going to be then in six months remortgaging it, you know, mortgage lenders are not going to like that. I mean, I'm sure you can get away with a few of them, you know, from speaking to my brokers. But then after that, you're, they're not going to be happy and you might be on the blacklist or something. But either way, it's not what the product's for. It's a 25 year product. Yes, it's super cheap, but it can cost you in early redemption figures. Uh, early redemption charges, sorry, um, that you may have to pay to then end the product early. So actually, it may be cheaper just to bridge it or something. As expensive as it can be, it may be cheaper to bridge it or buy it with cash and pay an investor back. But really, you know, the way I've done it is with investor cash or bridging. That's the first thing to note. You're buying it with investor cash or bridging. Or like investor means family, friends, or whoever, you know, people who are loaning you money. Now, once you've done this, you then refurbish it. Now, I find refurbishment cash is hard to borrow. Bridges can give it, but then they'll pay in arrears. So you have to have the cash first, pay the, the builders, and then they come in and pay you. And sometimes they bring a, a quantity surveyor on site, which costs you money to say, oh, yep, you've done the work. Tick, here's, here's more money. And so I haven't really found a good solution institutionally to borrow refurb money, but I've done it using investor funds or at the beginning, my own funds. Once a refurbishment is done to a high enough standard, now here's the key. If it's a shit refurb or if it's not done too much work, it can be, you know, naturally tricky to prove to the valuer. And it shouldn't be that you've, that it's now worth market value. But market value is not based on the work you've done. It's based on like, does the current state of it equal other things on the market that have sold at the same level? And that's an ideal world, right? Now, what I've heard from brokers and from people is if you remortgage before six months, they look at purchase price kind of plus how much you spent on it and then work it out. After six months, they look purely at comparables. I'm interested to hear people's experiences with this. But for people who maybe aren't familiar with this, generally speaking, most mortgage lenders have a rule. And it's not actually like, I was reading, it's not actually like a proper, proper strict thing. They just all seem to kind of follow it. That before six months, a lot of lenders just won't remortgage when you bought the house. Um, they some will like Kent Reliance are uh, like foundation I think precise there might be a few others who do it they will do it but obviously with more cost and maybe a higher rate but it could still work out cheaper um, and I'm actually going through an early one at the moment so I'll let you know what happens with that but there are ways to remortgage within six months but traditionally you do it after six months to get a much wider range of products lenders and potentially better rates and maybe free valuations and things like that so You've done that refurb and the hardest part really is proving to the valuer that it's worth what you think it is. Because even a 5k down value on like a buy to let or, you know, depending on, you know, if let's say it's under 100k and you've had a 5k down value, that can actually affect how much money you're pulling out by quite a bit because you get 75% of that. That's a decent chunk of money, right? Depending on your margin. It could be 50k for where you invest, but let's say 5k. Um, you then go to refinance it. I've had a successful refinance so far. It, it should have been valued at 80k and it was. And um, we spent 63k all in, or 63,950 all in. We took out 60k. So we left in just under four grand and it nets 
at the moment, well, once it's on a mortgage, um, it will, well, the mortgage is coming through now, it will net 200 and I think it's 280 pounds a month. I mean, that's pretty good, right? Like how, you know, 280 pounds a month versus four grand left in, it's a very good return on cash left in. And I'm doing this across multiple of my deals. So let me talk through that one. I bought it at 50K. In in that current condition, it's probably worth about 60, 65. Spent 6K on it. Fixed the damp, new sort of not new kitchen, but put new kitchen units in, new vinyl, new carpet, modernized it a little bit, um, fixed the garden, and then it got revalued at 80K. Now, in that in that example, I wasn't necessarily adding value. I, what I like to call it is I was re-adding value. I was just bringing it back up to market, you know, um, because it was almost at market value before. It's just that no one wanted to buy it and it just got it super cheap. Had I valued that prior to six months, maybe it would have been a diff- different story because they would have been like, you bought it for 50, you spent five on it and you're saying it's worth 80. And it is, it is worth 80, but sometimes it can be difficult to prove that. Um, and that's one, that's probably one of the, to be honest, that's probably the biggest challenge as, as well as getting refurbs and stuff on time. Proving to valuers is one of those challenges that like you just never know until the day and, and until they give it back. Like, is it going to be, is it going to be what you expected or is it going to be better? No. Um, so that's how buy refurbishment finance works. That's an example of a deal. I mean, I've got another one where I bought an auction for 45 grand. It's a four bed. Uh, in its condition, it was, it was probably worth yeah, 50 max is probably worth. Well, someone had actually bought it for 58k in the same condition six months before, so maybe it was worth a bit more actually. Um, but once you got the wallpaper off, it, yeah, you saw the black mortar in the, everywhere and the walls crumbling, it was definitely worth 45. So we spent 17k on that and that included some external works to get the re rendering done and fixing a roof leak and basically a total replaster, redecoration, new kitchen, updated bathroom, new carpets throughout. It's a four bed, so it's a, it's a bit bigger. Um, and the garden was fine. Now, you know, that is worth 85 to 90K all day long, comparables and agents. And actually the one pretty much next door, which I think is a three bed, recently sold for 85K. So all day long, it's worth 85, 90. I'm trying this out on an early remortgage, but, you know, all in all, this should be a deal that doesn't actually leave in much money. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to bring up my spreadsheet so I can talk you through it. So we're in 45, you've got stamp duty at 1,350, solicitor fees on this one were just under a grand who's bridging. Um, we spent 17k on it um, and my spreadsheet also includes uh, interest like to my investor who's funding this deal. Um, this one's a bridge plus uh, investor the deposit. So some of the figures may not exactly add up because of the interest that's, that's coming off. Uh, once it gets revalued, I've put in 85, worst case, it's a four bed, it should be 90. I will leave in £4,653. It will rent for 550 a month. Cash flow should be about 320 a month. And that's a return on cash left in of 68%. This is a BRR. Now, yes, I'm leaving in money and that's fine. I'm leaving in less than 5K, which is my limit. But... The way I did this was by buying it at a good price at auction, um, spending what I need to spend on it to make it up to a good condition for someone to live in. It's going to be someone's home as a rental. Uh, and then to then prove to the valuer that, look, this is, well, it's going to be better than the comparables because it's going to be brand new inside. It's going to be sexy. Newly plastered walls, new nice kitchen, shout out Howden's, you know, to prove to them, look, this is what it's worth. 
how much money did I put into this deal? Uh, 10% uh, on the day of auction deposit. So four and a half grand plus the auction fee. All, it was about 5,100. Uh, 75% was funded by a bridger. It was a two-week completion. So I just said, right, let's bridge it. And then the rest of the deposit, um, 25%, was funded by an investor. And the refurb was totally funded by an investor. So yeah, I put in maybe eight grand and some time. And this will be a house that pulls everything out and leaves in five grand. Now you're going to ask, hold on a minute, Tej, you owe your investor or your bridger or yourself five grand. Indeed I do. So what do I do? I flip houses to generate cash, to literally make cash, to then pay my investors back. You know, I don't take profit from the flips. I'd love to take profit from them, right? But I don't. I use them to pay off my investors because money is still left in in some of these deals. So that's BRR. Uh, and obviously before that is like why I buy buy-to-lets. And also buy-to-lets, you know, you can rinse and repeat and you can recycle your money with the BRR model that yes, you can do on HMOs. Yes, you can do on anything else. But of course, you know, I've chosen to do buy-to-lets. So I hope this explains to everyone, you know, why I buy buy-to-lets and what the BRR model is. A lot of people have been asking me and asking me to explain it. Um, and I do apologize if you know what it is and well, hopefully you haven't listened this far. Um, but either way, hopefully a nice reminder for you. If you have any questions, pop me a message. Uh, and just to let you all know, my Earn and Learn program is still active. Uh, I'm still looking at funding deals for 2020. Um, I'm looking to buy three buy to lets a month for the first six months and sort of one flip every two months, one or two flips every month. So if you want to get involved, if you want to learn more and have access to my exclusive library of videos and content and the WhatsApp group and my beginners pack and access to me properly, then please let me know uh, and we can talk about the earn and learn. If you want more information on it in the meantime, it's tedginvests.com. Thank you very much, everyone. If you like this podcast, connect with Tej on Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube for more great content.